It'll be long life with you and it'll be well with you. That's the promise. But today we're going to get in another aspect of honor. Go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 29. And we're going to talk about honor in the marriage covenant. Now, you may say, well, I'm not married. Well, we can still talk to you. The scriptures will still speak to your heart. But I believe we just need to get saturated with honor. And if you're married... You're desiring to be married. You're thinking about being married. You're dreaming about being married. We want to pray for you now. We're going to just preach the word. And we're going to get this on the inside of us today. And let, it, let us realize this is what God says, okay? Let's be taught by the Bible today. Proverbs 29, verse 23. It says, a man's pride will bring him low. The Amplified says a man's pride will cause him to fall flat on his face. Now, once again, through the scriptures, you find out that, that God loves people. I've never seen in scripture where God, he, he resists the, the drunk. God doesn't resist the drunk. He doesn't resist the liar. He doesn't resist the divorcee. He doesn't resist the, the cheater. The only thing in Scripture that I can find that God resists is in 1 Peter 5. It says that God resists the proud, the arrogant, but He gives grace to the humble. So right here, this kind of goes in line with that. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will obtain honor. And so when I live with humility, it's going to lead me to honor. So how do I humble myself? I obey God. I do what God says, and there will be an honor. And so once again, over and over through scriptures, we find out when we honor what God says to honor, there's always a blessing. There's always a reward. Now, even in the marriage covenant, you don't have to be married and it be a headache. You don't have to be married and it be a heartbreak. And a lot of times those are the things that happen in life, but that was not God's desire. Genesis 2.18 says that God himself spoke toward man and he said, It's not good for man to be alone. And all the men said, Oh me. Amen or oh me. No, God said it's not good for man to be alone. I will create for him a helpmate. Not a hurtmate. But a helpmate. Now, this was God's design for each one of us. Now think about this just for a second. If Father God is the creator of every one of us in here, don't you think He knows what we need? God would not have prescribed this if this wasn't His desire and His thought. So God says this right here. I'm going to create for men a helpmate. Now, if you're not married, I'm not telling you to run and get married. That's not what I'm, I'm just telling you the heartbeat of God. And so God's desire in the marriage covenant would, it would bring harmony. It would bring peace. It would bring joy. It would even bring a completion. And some of you say, well, none of those describe my marriage. But you know what? I believe it can. And I believe the missing ingredients or the missing ingredient is honor. That if we'll just begin to honor. And this is what we must understand today. If I do not learn to honor in my marriage. And I'm going to highlight a word there. 
If I do not learn to honor, if I... See, the only person you and me can be responsible for is me. See, too many times we, we try to pull an Adam. And what do I mean by pulling Adam? Remember when Adam got in trouble, you know what he said? He said, it's that woman that you gave me. And so it's very easy for each one of us to blame the other one. But in a marriage covenant, it takes both of you. And if we don't learn honor, I'm not going to sing it to you. I'm just going to say it to you. There's going to be a heartache tonight. I'm not going to sing it, okay? There would be a heartache if I sang it to you. But that's what happens in, in our marriage covenant when we don't learn honor. Now, I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. Ephesians 5, and this is a hallmark for marriage right here. And some of you are saying, well, I know that. I know exactly where you're going. Well, I'm glad you're so smart. But you may know this as far as reading it, but the question is today, do you do it? See, it's one thing to know Scripture, but Scripture doesn't do me any good unless I obey it. Now, in this passage right here, it talks about what God expects out of wives and what God expects out of husbands. And I believe this with all my heart, that nothing justifies a disrespecting wife and nothing justifies an unloving husband. So let's see what the Lord says here. In Ephesians 5, begin with me in verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands. And all the men are saying, preach it. Pastor, let them have it. Well, you don't want to do that, boys, because I'm going to get to you here in just a little bit. And to me. And so he says, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. As to the Lord, as if you were doing it unto the Lord. Keep reading. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and is the Savior of the body. Now as you read this about Jesus, he's the head of the church and he's the Savior for all of us. When Jesus was bestowed the name above all, when He was given this position and this title, it came with incredible sacrifice. He just didn't get this name, but because of His love and His action in His life, this is what happened, and I believe this is what happens to us husbands. That just because you get married... Doesn't mean you've done anything yet. I believe that just like Jesus, He paid a huge price to be called the Savior. He paid a huge price to be called the King of Kings. And so this becomes my example. I don't know about you, but because of Jesus' love and the things He's done for me, it's easy for me to submit to Him. I desire to submit to Him. I believe this is the same in the marriage covenant when we do as Jesus would men, it'll be easy for our wives to submit. Thank you for those two holy grunts. Verse 24. Therefore, just as the church is subject or submitted to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, ladies, don't get mad at me. I didn't write this. God wrote this, and this was God's thought right here. Now, 
as I begin to look at the word submit, be subject, be submissive, most of us in here, whether you're a male or a female, we're not real fond of those words submit. You may say, I don't like to submit to nothing. Well, let's change and have a little bit of phraseology change here today. Instead of the word submit or submissive, let's put in there the word spend. Now, I don't have to ask for a show of hands because every one of us in here like to spend. Some of you like to spend at the mall. Some of you like to spend at the golf course. Some of you like to spend on cars. But we all like to spend. So in the marriage covenant, what would happen if we would spend our lives on our spouses? And I believe this is the way the Lord wants it. That, and it's a joy for me to spend my life on my wife. It's a joy for me to spend my love. It's a joy to spend my affection. And it changes it completely when I begin to look at it in this realm. I'm going to spend my life on my wife. I'm going to spend my love on her. Verse 25. Husbands. Husbands, husbands, husbands. Isn't this interesting? Husbands. And before we get there, I want you to understand this in here. That this is clear instruction from Father God. This is His heartbeat. Whether it's to wives or to husbands. This was what God prescribed. And I look, and when God prescribes something, this is how He sets things into spiritual law or into order. Now, in the natural, I don't care how powerful or smart you think you are, you can't dictate to the sun which it's, when it's going to rise and set. You know why? Because God put it in order, and God told the sun when to rise and when to set. And so when we try to change the marriage covenant with what God said, there's going to be chaos. And I don't know about you, I don't want chaos. And so once again, we must take what Father God prescribed. So here he says, husbands, husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself to her. Now in saying that, how did Jesus love the church? How did Jesus give himself? He died. He said, I'm going to give you my all. And, and husbands, this was what the Lord prescribed for me and you to do. If you think about Jesus, Jesus doesn't take days off. He doesn't take shortcuts. And that's the same for us, guys. So the example for us is way high. Jesus always sets the bar high. Verse 26, that he might sanctify or set apart and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that should be holy and without blemish. Do you know the message says, husbands, that everything we do is to bring out the best in her? And I looked at that and I thought, is everything I do, does it bring the best out in Shelley? No. I've fallen way short of that. But this is what Jesus would want us to do. Verse 28. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. You know what most translations get over on this? That we're to sacrifice our interests to enhance hers. How many of you husbands have fallen short in that? 
That doesn't mean I can't, can't, doesn't mean I gotta quit. It just means I got to begin to quit living so selfishly. You know what that means, boys? We gotta take a demotion in order to give them a promotion. And a lot of times we don't want to do that. But this is what Jesus is, is prescribing for every one of us. Verse 29. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. You know what that word nourish means in the Greek? It means for us to cause growth toward her own maturity. Word to nourish our wives where it causes growth. The second thing says... And that we should cherish it. The word cherish in the Greek means to warmly care for and to attend to. And so this is what the Lord prescribed for us. And some of you say, I don't want to do that. Well, there's consequences. Keep reading. Verse 30. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. And as I read that, I think of this. In, in Hebrews 13.5, it says that Jesus Christ will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, I believe that. I believe that Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. And so when I read that verse, you know what that does on the inside of me? That brings a confidence. That brings a trust. That brings a security to me to know Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. Now, we read in, in Ephesians 5.25, it said, Husbands... Love your wives like Christ loved the church. And so as I read that, I think in line with what I read there in Hebrews 13, 5. Do I give my wife that same commitment? Oh, pastor, I wish you wouldn't talk about stuff like this. Well, guys, you got to understand this, that the Bible reads the same for me. I'm not exempt from any of us. And so once again, you know what this does? It causes me to look in my own heart. Do I live this? Do I live what I preach? Do you have any problems in your marriage, Pastor? Absolutely. I'm still working on it. I've been married over 30 years. I haven't got it all figured out, guys. I wish I could tell you I make an A-plus in every area. Shelly would tell you a lot of days he gets D's. He's just barely passing. But I'm trying. I realize i gotta keep. I got to keep moving up. I can't settle, okay? Verse 31. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father's mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Now, verse 33, you know what this is? This is the picture of marriage. You know what the bookends are? Husbands love your wife and Christ, or, and husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church and wives submit to your husband. Respect them. You know how you respect a man? R-E-S-P-C-T. That's how you honor him. You get over that and get that in our heart and begin to live that. And so each one of us, the God, uh, God has told us what he expects out of us. Now look back to your right there. Go to 1 Peter, chapter number 3. 1 Peter 3, and let's go a little bit farther today. You know, when I, I look at the function of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, 
They're all equal. Every one of those are equal in position. But they just have a different function. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They're in complete unity. Equal in position, just different in function. And the reason I say that, that's the same in the marriage covenant. We're equal in position, just different in function. I don't know about you men, but I wouldn't function very well as a wife. You know why? I can only do one thing at a time. We're not multitaskers like women. How many men have figured that out? I mean, I tell Shelly when she starts giving me more than one thing to do, I said, darling, my brain will tilt. I can only do one thing at a time. Why? Well, that's that kind of how God designed us. I mean, it amazes me how many things my wife can do at the same time. How many of you have ever watched how your home functions in the morning before school? It's incredible. I used to stand in amazement. And so this is what I'm talking about, guys. We become equal in position, just different in function. 1 Peter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise. What does that word likewise mean? Well, if you study all this, there's a comparison here. And just as he exhorted each one of us to submit to those over us, whether it's our bosses or those in authority, he's telling us right here the same way. And, and you'll see in here, not only does he say likewise to the wives, he says this later on to the husbands. Likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. You know, that's interesting right there. How many times that re references that? Be submissive to your own husbands. He didn't say be submissive to every man, did it? It just said to your own husbands. Okay? I don't know why I'm throwing that out. We'll make a big deal out of it. That even if some of you do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, I've, I've seen this happen right here. Some of you may know the name of Smith Wigglesworth. He was the great evangelist. Smith Wigglesworth was a plumber. And he wasn't serving God at all. Actually, he despised the things of God. But his wife loved God. She loved God. And she would tell Smith, I love you. And I want to be a good husband to you. But number one, i got to honor God. Well, I remember several times when reading the books about him that she would go off to church and he would get so mad about it that when she would come home, he would have locked her out. I don't know about you, but that wouldn't have been very pleasant to get home and find out that your spouse, especially your husband, had locked you out. It said numerous times she would sleep with her head against the door. The next morning he would open the door and she would fall in. And you know what she'd get up and say? Oh, Smith, I love you. Let me fix you breakfast before you go to work. Now, I thought about that. How many of us would do that? If I got locked out, I don't know that I'd get up and tell Shelly, I'm going to fix your breakfast, dear. I'm just going to be truthful. That wouldn't have been the first thing. I, you know, the Bible says lay hands on them. I'd have laid hands on her. And so this is what this is talking about, that so many times that wives just love their husbands so much that it changed their husband. And you know what? He got born again. Became a great evangelist because of the love of his wife. Keep reading here, verse 2. When they observe your pure and modest conduct accompanied by fear, do not let your dormant be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. 
Now, if you'll notice there, he said, do not let your dormant be merely or only. Now, guys, this doesn't mean men don't like you to look nice. This means that you can look nice, but there's more to it than just your appearance, how you look outwardly. He goes on to say, rather let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. So you got to understand, first of all, when you do this, man, God is looking at you. God is beaming you. God's saying, that's my daughter right there. That's my girl. It's done to the Lord first. Verse 5. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling or dressing him as Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. And so right here, he gives us an illustration, an example I believe it's important for women to read about Sarah's life. Sarah was incredible. But let's keep reading here for us men. Verse 7. Husbands. Peter here is specifically addressing us. Likewise, dwell with them. Dwell with your wife with understanding. That word understanding there means be considerate. Giving honor to the wife. Now, you can read there in Ephesians where it says wives are to honor their husbands. But isn't it interesting right here? Peter tells us husbands to honor our wives. And how does he tell us to honor our wives? As the weaker vessel. That word weaker, guys, didn't mean they're down here and you're up here. That's not what that means. Actually, the Amplified says... That they are, are weaker in physical stature. In other words, they're not as strong as us. Now, men, if your wife can out bench press you, we got some problems. We're going to have to start feeding you a little more spinach and get you some pie pie arms, do something, okay? This is what this is talking about. He said, number one, their weaker vessel. And oh, I like this second promise here. Giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together. Heirs together. You know what that says? Equal partners. Heirs together. It didn't say this way, this way. No, it said equal together. Now look at the next part of that verse there. It says, of the grace of life. I believe just in that statement there that when we honor our, our wives, husbands, and we treat us as, as heirs together, there's going to become a grace upon you. An incredible grace. He goes on to say that your prayers may not be hindered. So right here, guys, there's a challenge for us. We can honor this or we can dishonor. But let me ask you a question today. How many of you have ever felt that when you went to the Lord and prayed, your prayers were being hindered? Maybe you've thought that before. Well, could it be right here that we've dishonored our wives and because we've dishonored our wives, he said, your prayers will be hindered. In other words, 
You're not exempt from this. I'm not exempt from this. And so he's telling me right there that my prayers never reach the throne room of God because of my lack of honor for my wife. Oh, that hurts. But once again, what I want you to see that if I will honor my wife, I can go into the throne room of God and I can come and pray confidently. And I can come in knowing God's going to hear me. You know why? Me and my wife are in agreement. Me and my wife are heirs together. We're partners. You know, I, I believe this. I, I believe very strongly in the prayer of agreement. Matthew eighteen nineteen says that if you or if two will agree on earth as touching anything that they ask in prayer, it will be done for them. Two of you. I believe with all my heart that the strongest prayer of agreement in any, in any area of life is the husband and wife. That when you come into agreement, this is why, guys and gals, the devil hates marriage. I believe with all my heart. You think about Scripture. Anything Father God ordained or, or uh, blessed, the devil goes after. He went after Adam and Eve as humans. You know why? God created them. He went after Adam and Eve in the marriage covenant. You know why? Because God blessed it. He goes after our families. You know why? Because God blessed it. God created the family. And so you might as well understand this. The devil's going to come after your marriage. He's going to do anything he can to get you divided. You know why? He knows the power of two. And so I look at that and I love it. I think, man... When we begin to honor God in our marriage, woo, one will put a thousand, two will put ten thousands. What the script? Can you imagine the power in the spirit realm when a man and woman, a husband and wife, come together and they join hands and they say, "Let's pray, dear. Let's pray." I'm going to tell you. You know what it does? It rocks hell. The devil doesn't like it. And so today, if you've got some strife in your marriage, I'm going to tell you, you know who a lot of it's behind? You've yielded to it, but you've allowed the devil to influence your marriage. Ooh, Pastor, that hurt. You know what? I don't like the thought of letting the devil do any influence in my life. And so right here, he tells us, i got to begin to come in here, men, and get into unity with our spouses. Not to dishonor, but to honor. I believe this with all my heart here today. That if you dishonor your wife, guys, there will not be favor. The favor of God will not be upon your life. I even believe this. That when we dishonor women in the church, there'll be oppression. There'll be depression. There'll be bondage. There'll even be a spirit of heaviness upon a church that dishonors their women in the church. You can look at the Muslim religion. I mean, you, know, you wonder why those ladies wear those scarfs over their head? Because they're dishonored. I don't know about you guys, I like to see women. I mean, I don't want our women to be covered up. I like you guys. Some of you husbands need to like them. But something happens, guys, when we be dis begin to dishonor what Father God says to honor. Now, I want to go to one more scripture this morning. Go to Matthew 19. Matthew chapter 19. You honor, guys, I'm going to tell you, you're, you're going you're to be blessed with a reward. Matthew chapter 19. 
Just another area. We get to rise up. Matthew 19, verse number 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these things that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees, the religious leaders of the land, also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Any cause? Now, I want to put some guidelines here right now. Number one, guys, I'm not, I'm not speaking condemnation. Ever. If you've been divorced, I pray blessings on you. I can tell you this right now, God's got a second chance, so I want you to understand, I'm not preaching against people that have been divorced. Some of the greatest ministers I know have been divorced. How many of you ever watched Joel Osteen on TV? Well, Joel hadn't been divorced, but his father, who was the pastor of pastors, I believe, he had been divorced. And you know what? The denomination he was in kicked him out and said, God can never use you. Well, I believe God can use you. I don't care who you are, God can use you. A, a, a great pastor friend of mine that I've gotten to know over the years, he pastors a church in Southern California. This morning, right now, he'll have over 20,000 people there. He'd been married numerous times. Divorced and married. And God still uses it. So I'm not saying that, that, that God can't bless you, okay? Let's keep reading here. Verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Now what I want you to understand, when Jesus said, Have you not read... The Pharisees, the religious leaders of their land, those guys memorized the Torah. They memorized what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So you know what he said? Have you not read? And so in other words, you know what Jesus was saying? I know you've read this. You just don't live it. You just don't apply it. And so he said from the beginning... Has God not made them male and female? Okay? This was God's idea. Verse 6. And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother. And you know what that means when you leave your father and mother? That means you're going to take on some responsibility for your life. See, marriage is a lot more than just saying I do. And so when you take on the responsibility to leave your father and mother, you know what that means? Your mom's not going to do your underwear no more. You're on your own. And you young guys, you better just pray to God that you get a wife who'll do your underwear. Bless them, Father God. The ones who do underwear. What a job. But when he said right here, the two shall become one flesh. That's the thing that happens in marriage. The two shall become one flesh. It's that becoming. If you'll notice there, it didn't say the two are one flesh. It said the two become one flesh. And you know what the becoming is? It's for every one of us in this room who are married, and we married an opposite. That your personalities are... How many of you found out you married someone, their personalities are just totally different than you? You know what that is? That's God's sense of humor. God looks at Jesus and said, now look at this one. She's really neat and clean and organized. He's a slob. Now let's watch how they become one. 
And I believe God, He just, He loves this. He just sits back and says, this is great. This is better than TV. And so you're on the road to becoming one. Does that mean that happens overnight? No, it doesn't. It just means you just keep on working areas. And you find out two things in marriage. You find out what makes your spouse tick. And you find out what ticks them off. Now go with the ones that causes them to tick. And avoid those ones that ticks them off. You know where that wisdom comes from? That comes from 30 years of being married. I've kind of started figuring out that out in the last few years. i got to avoid those things. Becoming one. Keep reading. Verse 6. And he said, For this reason shall a man leave his father and be joined to his wife. You know what that word joined means? United firmly. Inseparable. Joined to your wife. Joined. It's big. Two imperfect people becoming one. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. I want to highlight something there. It did not say what man has joined together. It said what God has joined together. So you know what that tells me? When you stood before who was ever at your wedding, it just wasn't you and your spouse. God was there and He was watching over it. And God listened to you say, for better or worse, for richer or poor, for fatter or thinner, for hair or bald. He heard you say every bit of that. Until death do us part. And so this is big in Father God's eyes. This is big in Him. And one of the strongest words in the Hebrew is a word called covenant. And you know what covenant means? Committed. Covenant means faithful. And so God takes, He takes huge, huge uh, love, huge degrees on the marriage covenant. He looks at it strongly. You know, in uh, Malachi 2 verse 17, it says that God hates divorce. It didn't say that He hates the divorcee. He hates divorce. You know why God hates divorce? Because He realized every time we get divorced, it takes a big old chunk out of your heart. It takes a big old chunk out of your children. And you know what? It causes pain. There's pain that goes with it. And so God loves people. But we've got to get a hold of this. Now this is what I want to start getting to. Verse 7. Then they said to them, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses... Because the hardness of your hearts permitted you to divorce your wives. Because of the hardness of your heart. And I looked at different translations about what hardness of the heart meant. And it meant stubbornness. It meant perversity. But almost all hardness of the heart, you know what it went back to? We wouldn't repent and we wouldn't forgive. Now, Let's take the marriage equation out of this completely. Every one of us in this room, we can fall into a hard heart if I don't learn to repent, if I don't learn to forgive. And this is what Jesus said here. It comes down to the hardness of your heart. 
You know, that means you may be married six days. That means you may be married six months, six weeks, six years, 66 years. But if I don't learn to guard my heart in every area of my life, guys, you're going to get a hard heart. That's why I must keep responding to the Word of God. I must keep responding to the Holy Spirit. And I believe so much of the, the dishonor in our marriage comes from a hard heart. I'm not going to repent to her. I'm not going to forgive him. And so the anger in our heart begins to develop. And before long, we're at odds with each other. We're always bickering. Listen, guys, it just takes one. Someone to rise up and say, you know what? I'm going to be a forgiver. I'm going to be a repenter. I'm going to learn to do this. Look at the last part of that verse, what it says. Because the hardness of your hearts, he permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. You know what that means? This was never God's original plan. And so does God forgive people? Absolutely. But I believe He's wanting to do something back in our hearts, back in our lives. And you know what that is? To begin to say, I'm not going to let my heart become hard. Toward other people, toward my spouse. And see, that could be totally different for every one of us in this room. Could be toward a parent. Could be toward, toward your wife. Could, but I, I'm tell you guys, I want to stay in covenant. I want the blessings of God. And I can read that when I honor what God says to honor, there's always blessing. Always. I'm, I'm looking for someone. I don't see him here. I, Darla Rogers' grandfather died the other day. And I, I don't know how old he is. He's, he's a dinosaur. He's older than dirt. He's old. Man, I mean, he's an old guy. And I was standing right there by the casket with his wife. And he called his wife sweets. Man, it blessed me. He called his wife sweets, but this is what really blessed me. They'd been married 69 years. 69 years. Now can you imagine, I've been married 30 and that seems long. Can you imagine 69 years waking up by the same woman every day for 69 years? I mean, it blessed me. I look at him. I wanted to high five. He met his wife's funeral and said, you the man. You the man. That's incredible. It blessed me. The heritage. But not only the heritage in his. What about the heritage he, he passed down? And ones of you that are raised in homes where you had mothers and fathers. That you saw the blessing of the marriage coming. You ought to consider yourself blessed. But I say this to ones of you who didn't. You be the history maker. You say, okay, we're going to start a new lineage here. We're going to start a new generational blessing. But I stood there at that, that coffin right there by her. And he came walking down. And he looked at her and I could hear him saying, oh, sweets. Oh, sweets. And he got right there and he grabbed her hand. He said, I'll be there soon. I'll be there soon. And as he said that, I realized this was a man who treasured marriage. This was a man who viewed my partner's gone and I don't know that I want to live anymore. And I looked at the granddaughter, Darla, and I said, Darla, you better enjoy these next few days because Grandpa's going to check out of here. He has no desire to live anymore because Sweets isn't with him. I don't know about you, but man, stuff like that stirs me up to say, I'm going to enjoy the journey. 
I'm going to enjoy my wife. I'm going to enjoy life. And it becomes a choice. Stand up with me today. I want all of you to know this. I love every one of you, and I'm for you. I'm for you. I'm for your marriage. I, I do not preach condemnation, guys. I realize life's tough enough without pastors doing that junk. But I do ask right now that you bow your head. And look into your heart today. And ask yourself this question right now. What's the condition of my heart? And though you may not be married today, what's the condition of your heart toward other people? See, it, it falls for every one of us. But if you're here today, and you look and say, my marriage hadn't been what it's supposed to be. And as a wife, you may say, I, haven't, I have not respected my husband. Or if you're a husband, you may say today, I can honestly say, I haven't loved my wife like Christ loved the church. You know, this, this year's about over. But what a way to start 2012. To say, I'm going to tell you right now, Ooh, my marriage is going to be wonderful. My marriage is going to be blessed. And if that's you today, that you realize you, you've fallen short of God's glory, you've fallen short of God's be best, I welcome you down here at the altar and say, I'm going to make a fresh commitment today, Lord. And you know, that may be you as an individual, or that may be you as a couple, as a marriage, where you can grab your spouse's hands and say, listen, sweets, I know that hadn't been us yet. But oh, we're going to make some changes this year. We're going to honor God. We're going to learn to love each other, to, to forgive. And oh, man, I'm telling you, God's going to bless you. God's going to bless you, I promise you. And you know, I, I, I see different ones in here today of different ages. Some have been married for years and years. You know, I see some in our church that have been divorced and remarried. You know what they say to me most of the time? We thank God, Pastor, we got a second chance. We got a second chance. You know, in the first service, you can keep coming down here. We're not closing this yet. God's got plans for you. The first service, uh, many of you know Bob and Jane Worth. I knew Jane 30 years ago. And guys, she had married a dud. Just a guy who, who, who treated her horribly. Horribly. And she ended up divorcing and now she got remarried to Bob. And I told Bob one day, me and him, were we were out at the golf course and we were walking down the fairway and I said, Bob, I'm so blessed that Jane got a man like you. It blesses me to see someone love her and take care of her like you. And you know what he said to me? He said, no, I'm the one who got blessed. I'm on the one. You know what Ruth Graham, Billy Graham's wife said? They said, what is the result of a, of a marriage that's as good as you guys? And she said, a great marriage is the result of two great forgivers. Ruth Graham said that. See, most of us look at Billy Graham and think he woke up next to God yesterday. No, he had to make the choice. I'm going to forgive. And I believe that's so big for every one of us. So I don't know what's gone on in your life. But oh, happy day. When start over. When start over. And it may be one of you saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to repent. I'm going to make the change. 
And then don't, don't allow the, the devil to try to severance what God has blessed. You're going to have to fight. You know, as there's people down here, I, I ask some of you in our church that have been married, have good marriages. And I'm not condemning anyone else. But you ones who've had good marriage, come up here to these ones and lay hands on them. Let's pray for them. Let's speak life over them today. Father God, right now, you see all these ones.